Welcome. Welcome. I'll give you a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good evening, because I tell you what, this is much deserved. You understand what I'm saying? This is much deserved. For the last three hours, I have been, and we have been, trying to get these two mics pushed up together on this laptop that I have here. Call us retards. <laughs> it's been an ordeal. Call us what call us whatever you like, but it's worth it in the end. Amen. Not a Christian, but amen. So, Mr. Sam, the man with the master plan. Tell us a little bit about yourself and I mean I already know enough about you, so Yeah, man. Um where to, where to begin, really? Well, my, my proper name, I'm I'm Sam Hardy, uh, Samuel James Richard Hardy, if we're being proper. Uh, I'm from the UK, got a bit of a mixed family, a mixed heritage, a bit of mixed blood going on. But more importantly, and where I enter your story, was through coming to China. This is my second year now, so it would have been two summers ago. And, a, and an eventful evening at our at a, at a Hilton Hotel at your old place of work. Oh it? snap! Here it goes, man. Here it goes. <laughs> and a, and a, a a meeting which shocked me, that that scared me, me fresh off the boat. Um, and wow, straight in the adult world and meeting this guy. First thing, oh god. It was an experience. It was quite magical, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't think. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we should get into detail. No, it was good. It was good. But it was good. Yeah, yeah. But a, an interesting start, and then a, a big chunk of time not to well, a couple of months not really knowing each other, not really talking to each other, and then a purely chance encounter in Osaka Airport on the way back from Japan, and from mm. there things. After we spent, it was about an hour and a half flight. Uh, yeah. Sat, I was the row behind you with the row in front. That's right. Both in the aisles. That's right. On a Peach Airways flight back from Osaka to Shanghai, and spending that whole time just chatting up, and then yeah, it all kind of snowballed from there, didn't it? Yeah, man. And I don't think I'd call that destiny, because obviously we had a, an interesting beginning. Yep. And who would have thought that we were gonna somehow meet in the <laughs> under such such circumstances literally <laughs> and plus you were in a jam obviously with the with what's her name oh god yeah with what's her name exactly that was a yeah she was a cult member if i'm not mistaken an ex-cult member yeah chinese yeah lovely girl from hangzhou if i'm not mistaken L- shanghai she was from shanghai yeah and we'd so we'd th- so this so this was actually last november so we would have met for the first time last november in Japan for the second time um, and I'd um, planned that I wanted to go to Japan and at the same time I've been talking to this girl and I said hey actually do you want to do you want to come to Japan with me she's like yeah sure that'd be great um, let, let's plan it so we started vaguely planning it and then about two and a half um, three weeks before the actual trip um, I had a so I'm going to come clean and say I, I have struggled a lot with mental health issues and I had a real bad episode 
um, and I sent this girl this text saying, hey, I'm really sorry, but I need, I need space. I need to go, I just need this trip to be by myself. And she goes, that's really annoying, which is understandable because we planned, we started planning it together. We thought we we're going to be going together, but she's like, yeah, that's annoying, but I understand. I'm going to, I'll give you the space you need. Um, so that was the nature of the initial trip. Um, and the two or three weeks went past, forgot about it. <laughs> and then it wasn't until the flight on the way there, when I was checking in my luggage, I wasn't even checking in my luggage, I was getting my boarding pass and I turned around and obviously we had the same flights booked. Oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. Man, I so had hoodie up, headphones on, <clears throat> get through security, and then yeah, escaped. That had to have been something, yeah. Yeah. And then on the way back, I'd gone the whole two weeks without seeing her. It was okay. Well, I'd had a lovely time, like fell in love with Japan. And um one of the things that we'll no doubt discuss is I've absolutely fallen in love with East Asia. Mm. Um, I'm interested in a lot of things, but East Asia, I've obviously because of exposure, I've fallen in love with. I had this great time. And then in this queue back in, in Osaka Airport, I spent a couple of hours just sat watching um, the new season of Archer at the time, which is a brilliant TV show. Um, and turn around the corner, and at the other end of the queue, I see this guy. <laughs> lucky, <laughs> like, lucky me, yeah. Hey man, what's up? It's like, oh, Hey, hey man, I'll see you on the other side of security, I guess. And then as we're there, like shouting at each other from the end over all these Chinese and Japanese people, mm -hmm. but halfway down I hear, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> and turn and look and there she is. But uh, Oof. yeah, it was good. Wow. What a, what a good one. What part of Japan uh, did you go to? Because I know you just said Osaka, but mm. um, for me, I went down to, I was in Osaka. I did Kyoto and I also did Kobe. Mm. just to try the Kobe beef to be fair yeah man well I actually so I actually as soon as I got to the Osaka airport I got out of Osaka airport um, and I went straight to Kyoto um, because that's Kansai region of Japan which I got the rail pass for but then was thinking man it's, I, it's it was my first time um, traveling by myself my first solo trip ever. I remember you saying that. Mm. And it, it was daunting. It was real daunting. So I was there thinking, like, what, well, what is there to do in Japan? Um, it's kind of too early for skiing. There's no, like, the peach blossoms. I don't want to go to Kyoto because I'm, I'm from a, a very small village, not even a small town, from a village in the UK, in the northeast of the UK, a rural farming village, um, and haven't grown up with much exposure to big cities. So I thought man, Tokyo is going to be daunting. And it's the same, um, I'd had the same experience the month before during the Chinese holiday of Golden Week in Shanghai, mm. where I got in there and was just not used to the people, didn't know the language, um, and I was genuinely daunted by it. So I thought, hey, I'll take Kyoto. It's a bit of a contained area. It's got loads of, it's got mountains on three sides, if you remember. So it's got forested mountains that are gorgeous. Mm. Excuse me. Um, and yeah, I, I spent most of the time based in Kyoto. Did a couple of day trips out to little um, things like Nara, which has got the big deer park for people who've been to Nara and will know that. Um, Himeji, which has got a very famous castle from the film. Mm -hmm. um, oh, The Last Samurai with Orlando Bloom. Um, but yeah, I, I mainly spent it 
based in Kyoto and I fell in love and I said um, I, I mean I fell in love with the city and with the country um, and I said that I was struggling with mental health and having that time to myself to sit and reflect and grow was incredible. So would you say that when it comes to like I guess mental health self-reflection seems to be a a pretty good thing to to do right? Mm, and I, I think what kind of mental health issues like I'm <laughs> Because I know people could come out and say, you know, I've got mental health issues, but mm-hmm. what is it that that can lead to that? Because as far as anxiety goes, that's a part of mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you what what did that time of self-reflection do? Like, what did you actually do that, um, that did that for you? So I, I mainly spent the day um each day, I woke up early every morning, I went to bed late every night, and I spent the time just walking and being in nature and being around um, kind of beautiful things and listening to music, which for me, kind of, as a, a musical person, is very therapeutic. Um, but it, it was the opportunity to kind of step back from... Because without, without going into the details of what exactly had happened, um, it was it was mainly issues through work and that um, caused panic and the manifestation of self-doubt and, um, to an extent, feeling very um, self-critical and, um, to a further extent, self-hating. And having the opportunity to step back in an environment which is entirely where you know that you're not going to have an impact where you, you're with nobody that you know, where you're going to places where you'll probably never be there again. Um, it, it, it was almost like a little sandbox exper- experience where you mm. could take the time to do whatever you want. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. hmm. I guess from my end, I guess when it comes to self-reflection, I could say the same thing on that end because, I mean, I've been to Taiwan. I could remember in mm. Belgium. I could also remember... In, in even Lithuania, where this process of self-reflection seems to be really good because you kind of have this isolation from the rest of the world mm-hmm. and that can, it kind of does something for you. And, and yeah, and this, this isn't to say that isolation is um, the only way to um, remedy, to, to, to to cope with mental health issues because for some people isolation is as it says isolating it can be incredibly damaging and of course the the feeling of being alone um isn't always the answer and it's incredibly important to when you do feel isolated um in a harmful way to to reach out to people and to to, to talk with friends or family or reach uh, reach out to professionals if needed. But I mean, in that particular instance, I entirely agree. I think developing a state of contentness with oneself is incredibly therapeutic. And if you can get to the stage where you can be happy in one's own company. And then further than that, I said um, that uh, a lot of my time in Japan was spent listening to music, but then I also spent chunks of time in silence. And this is something that I've become increasingly aware of 
in day-to-day life that um, from the moment I wake up and from the moment I go to bed there is sound around me or there is music it will be music or podcasts or um, YouTube videos or mainly reruns of The Office yeah. <laughs> the American <laughs> Office because everyone loves the American Office who yeah, doesn't yeah. Um, but the the act of of doing something in silence is something that I think very few people like myself included do and even when they do it it's it's so rare in their lives i i think i i think the most recent example is like recently i took the opportunity to um i was literally just brushing my hair because it it takes me about 10 minutes because i have quite long hair to to dry and brush it in the morning and i'll always have music on the background Mm -hmm. and then one day a couple of days ago i just went actually pause this 10 minutes just focusing on the simple action um of, of the brush strokes and i remember in your kind of listen to your first episode when you spoke about meditation and the idea of focusing on breathing that idea of focusing on a single repetitive action in silence can be incredibly therapeutic i think hmm. yeah i would agree on that and that's kind of the reason where i was pretty adamant about breathing where you can count the breaths rather mm-hmm. than just breathing and focusing on that and I think mm-hmm. that's a, a pretty interesting way to to go about this repetitive piece that you can develop mm-hmm. while you're doing that I, th- I think on the breathing one uh, the it was an interesting when you when you said the counting one that was an entirely new um approach to me because um mindfulness and breath control is something um that I've looked at before and particularly as a singer there's something that we were taught to look at was mm-hmm. how, how to breathe properly and it's, it's weird when you it's something that everyone takes for granted but very few people do well um, but a, a possible another example was um, instead of just trying to focus on nothing uh, my my old um, teacher who we did a lot of kind of meditation and mindfulness with used to instead of saying about numbers or instead of saying about nothing was to imagine uh, the idea of a um, kind of white energy coming in or a white cloud coming in and a black cloud coming out. Um, or the, I think in terms of spirituality and meditation, the constant um, image that comes back to me in any sense is one of water and the idea of an ebb and flow of a tide. Um, yeah, mm. interesting. Yeah, because I know, didn't you have like a painting or something that that involved some sort of the blues and the, mm. the it was something like maybe a friend had given you or maybe one of your little playmates you know, so. so actually yeah that, that's another in itself a funny story <laughs> um, it was again another girl who uh, I met on the the Chinese dating app Tantan um, yes and, of course and we never we never met up we never did anything um, which we, we still have each other on WeChat now um but she's just this incredible artist and she had photos of herself and she's like a very lovely and you know, a very beautiful woman um, but she also had photos of her art <laughs> and I remember because <laughs> it was when I was in quarantine in March when I came back to China um, which was never a question when I, I was in the UK in February when the coronavirus stuff got bad and as soon as the opportunity came to come back I took it that was never a question but yeah I was in quarantine and matched with this girl and um, I remember the text I sent her was something about like yo you're really pretty 
but more important than that do you sell your art and she's like huh it's like yeah do you sell your art because you said there were these two she she had three particular paintings but two of them were these um they're not oils i did kind of oils poured over canvas um but they were they looked like i think she called them um spring the spring waves or something like that and they'd right, be right. beautiful like myriads of blues and turquoises and the whites and the mm-hmm. foam of the waves yeah um and yeah that they were absolutely breathtaking to the extent that i kind of me- messaged this random girl off a chinese dating site like yo can i buy them <laughs> yeah but yeah because usually with tantan at least from my knowledge it, it's kind of you know most of the girls they kind of just want to they just want to talk to somebody maybe they might be lonely or but you're the first person i've ever heard that you know just Bought hits up a girl like yo you got some art up there you know, <laughs> let me get some let me get a couple pieces yeah it's incredible like and i'm hope, hoping she'll continue to make more and i can buy more off her because mm-hmm. um yeah it's awesome and I, I i kind of like that i've had i've had a few weird experiences i i think i think a lot of people give dating apps a bad rep um and i think a lot of people do use them in a very destructive way but i think using them for kind of networking or finding friends or um stuff like that whilst not very common and can be frustrating for the people that are looking for it for for different for relationships or i i think it's it's worth my approach to dating apps was always ha- always approach things with an open mind and never never be close-minded about something and mm. i would encourage anyone who might be listening to this to do the same thing not not necessarily Absolutely. just with dating apps but to approach every opportunity with an open mind and make of it what they will yeah. because that's that's the thing so many things in life can be can be whatever you make of them and yeah that's a, a very good example of that where it became a, a marketplace for artwork <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah because you've come a long way on that you know being free uh, open-minded and mm. bringing forth you know just being open to the process i would i would suspect yeah yeah so uh just recently i remember you telling me that you had passed the hsk3 chinese <laughs> test and yeah you know, yeah, yeah. So going into a little bit of that, as far as <laughs> maybe your process, maybe your method on on studying, because at least on my end, man, I've 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 jumped in and I've quit at yeah. least at least twenty times, and but I'm back on track. And as far as studying Chinese versus maybe any other language, because you did say you might have you studied Latin as well. Yeah, I studied Latin and German. Uh, which one would you say is probably the more challenging or and if somebody did decide to go and study Chinese or some of those more challenging languages like I mean no offense to the to the Finns but yeah Finnish is Finnish, a pretty damn Catalan diff- Basque yeah all these man you think Esperanto will be one of them <laughs> Esperanto I read it nice one uh, Esperanto for, for those of you listening at home our host just dropped his mic <laughs> that's what that loud bang was um, yeah no so let's ignore Esperanto because it seems the world has and ignore the <laughs> fact that my bro- I slipped my mic yeah I dropped my mic yeah um, so the question is what who what's how I didn't suggest people could better study languages yeah or, yeah yeah um, I mean honestly my so 
I sat HK two exam uh, two weeks ago. Got the result back on Sunday, hundred percent, which I was ecstatic. I mean, about. I've, I've never had a hundred percent on a test before, and the fact it became something like that, which is something I want my future to be revolved around, was was awesome. But um, in terms of in terms of um, language learning. I would say, and I know anybody else that studied a language would say this as well, is the most important thing is exposure. Fair. And fair. I don't, I obviously have this incredibly lucky um, situation of being in the country of the language I'm learning. Yeah. Which not everyone could have. But what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is um, making sure that. If you, if you are serious about language learning, then you should be dedicating a, a chunk of your life to it. So that can be through things as simple as listening to music in mm. the given language mm. and then sitting and dissecting the music mm. afterwards and just doing maybe a song a week. And I, I bitterly, I only ever did one, but then I have other Chinese songs that I've sat and listened to and just on repeat and now know. Um, in, in terms of specifically Chinese, um, my... My practical Chinese, by which I mean my my speaking and my listening, is quite poor because mm. I don't I don't necessarily practice them. But my my reading and my uh, particularly my reading, but then writing as well, I absolutely adore because I'm a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a nerd, and I I love the the writing of characters and what I, the way that I found for those of you that are looking to study Chinese um, is use HSK as a framework because it is this internationally recognized Confucius Institute approved um, board for student Chinese and it works it's brilliant but get yourself a HSK HSK one through three vocab book each vocab each level has got a set number of words of vocab start by just going through and trying to associate uh, the character with the sound with the meaning and that's what's difficult with Chinese is you're not like with German or with Latin or with any language that uses um, a uh, an alphabet, you're not just having to learn how to pronounce the word and then what it means. In Chinese, because of this this brilliant um, script that they have, you have to learn the character, the sound of the character, including its tone. Which, let's not get started on tones, uh, <laughs> and then also the English meaning. So. Um, sitting and just honestly and I, I think it was our one of our mutual friends that said this best he, he would just sit and write a character out 50 times and at that point it would stick and it, it's not it's not pretty it's not glamorous mm. study of the language and, mm. and st language study isn't glamorous it's mm. tedious but it will uh, it, it gives results and Taking, yeah. you have to commit the time if you're serious with studying language and that doesn't mean full time six hours a day but taking a regular 10 minutes 20 minutes half an hour however much time you're willing to live uh, willing to give and if you give more time you'll see quicker results but it has to be um the same as anything getting into habit and regular study yeah yeah i, I can totally um, agree with that at least for me i've I've managed to make a, a interesting routine as well for myself because, I mean, I'm I'm studying Chinese as well, so we're in the same boat. Mm -hmm. But I think, given myself being here for long for a long time, yeah, 
and just bouncing in and off of it is just partially due to the fact that I didn't realize how good I actually was at it. Mm. Now, once I started to to at least give myself the routine, okay, like these, this is, these are the two things that I'm going to focus on. And these two things are the grammar and it's the new words. Mm. So aside from like, okay, I'm going to do a listening practice or I'm going to do a, a, a speaking practice, I just said, look, it's difficult to listen if you don't know what they're saying. Yeah. So how could you respond? I think that's probably where things get a little, uh, will get a little bit better. And then also I'd say another thing, particularly if you're trying, and I would encourage anybody learning a language, speak to people that know the language. Mm. Because more often than not, learn, learn however in your given language to say, I'm studying the language, please just bear with me. Um, please can you correct any of the mistakes that I'm making but then also remembering that you're you're a foreigner trying to learn their language and for so many people that's particularly as people that speak English that's so endearing and already they're on your side so saying to them and not being afraid to just say hey could you say that a bit slower hey could you mind repeating that again because particularly particularly with Chinese they speak the language so fast Particularly up in Changzhou, in, in Jiangsu, they, they speak the language incredibly fast. But taking the moment to say, whoa, I'm really sorry I didn't catch that. Can, can you please repeat it? And, and you, have to, you have to remember that no, one, no one's expecting you to have a perfect understanding or knowledge of a language. You're allowed to make mistakes. And this is the same across so many fields, like unless you're a professional competing or working at the highest level, it is okay to make mistakes unless they're a life or death situation or there's sure. millions of pounds or dollars or yen of money running on it. Like, mistakes are something that we can learn from. And I think society now um, has become so afraid of making mistakes, mm. um, which is particularly something in, in, West, in, in British education, the school that I grew up in, that people were afraid of making mistakes. Um, and I think that is something that's incredibly toxic. The idea that we have to be these perfect beings and, and no, we're not, we're simply not. It's funny you bring that up. How would you compare maybe some of the cultural and the behavioral uh, matters going on between the UK and your experience living in China? Because for me, man, I've, I've seen some similarities between the two as far as the connections, as far as maybe the the passivity of it because it seems like i'm not gonna lie i mean i haven't been to the uk was supposed to but you know covid yeah. covid kind of messed that up for me no offense to all the people that people's families out there you know if, you know my condolences if you lost somebody during mm. this time and but how have you seen some of the similarities or even even the differences from your time living in a small town uk versus you know your experience in Chengzhou and has that been therapeutic for you? Has that been a, a process of reflection as well? Because you did mention your time in Japan and how that experience was unique. Yeah, I, I actually said this at the weekend to someone. Um, the fact that my time, my now two years, and I'm so grateful to have this second year. It was never meant to happen. I was meant to be back at the UK starting university this holiday, uh, this this summer just gone. Um, but COVID happened, and and again, I am incredibly grateful to whatever gods may be for the 
for the situation, the hand I've been dealt with COVID. Because I I've kept my job, I've kept my health, I've kept my family, and I know so many people haven't. And and that has to be noted and thanks has to be given and it is. Um but in terms of the I, I think there are just stark differences between um between China and, and, and the UK. Um, I would go further to say the West on the whole, uh, particularly the UK and the US at the moment. Um, and I think one of the most apparent one of those has to be the sense of uh, community in China. And this brings us on to a very problematic uh, or controversial oh, conversation of like politics. Sounding anti-communist over there. No, 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 no. I'm not... I, I'm a left winger. I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'm not sure exactly where I sit on the scale, but I'm left wing. Um, watch the comments blow up. <laughs> um, Just yeah. Oh yeah, no. But, especially during the especially during the election and oh you know, man, you, yeah. We've got a lot of things, magical things. Have election day today. Let's let's date the episode. But yeah, election day, and we're we're waiting for the results to come in. Last time I checked, Biden up. But oh boy, you guys have got a lot to to look forward to. But um, and and this is a, that's all separation. Oh. But um, what do I mean by that? What what do I mean by community in China? I mean the sense it, in the UK, and I would argue this comes from a problem. Well, yes, a problem in the 1970s, which was the Thatcher government. Um, um, Thatcher was a conservative leader of the UK who basically promoted. Um, how best to say this? She promoted a a very fierce competitiveness amongst the British people, which in a lot of ways has been very good. It's promote it promoted um, industry, it promoted entre- entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what it led to was the breakdown of communities and society because we were in a situation in a country where the profits of an individual or the near family. Um, was much more um, desired than the uh, profiting of a community. Mm-hmm. Now, in China, um, I would say, and again, arguments can be made in terms of whether or not people are truly happy or how much money people are earning, but there is such a sense of um, community on a small scale in small cities. Of course, in metropolitan cities, it's different. But in in Changzhou, which is a small city, you can walk down the street. It's not too small, man. I mean, well, yeah, a, million, yeah. a million people in, in China is a small town. Yeah, exactly. But Changzhou is, is tier two. Yeah, it, it's it's bonkers. But in, in the scale of, I think the tier one cities are what? Beijing, Shanghai, Chengdu now, Shenzhen, Guangzhou. Well, Shenzhen and Guangzhou have always been a part of it. I mean, they reach about 11 to 12 million people. <laughs> it's bonkers it's There's kind of like people. the same as LA LA's got about 14 million and New right. York City's got about 18 million okay yeah 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 so mm. I, I, I've, I've never Changzhou never is bigger than Sweden and Finland at this you know like, yeah as far as population goes but okay so for a not so small small city there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. can't be ta- um, can't be having you talking about my home my second home like that <laughs> um, no good, it meant some, no disrespect at all of put course. some good time in there yeah um had some good times in there as well not just putting good times Oof. but yeah um the the fact that you can 
effectively you could never put it this way i feel safer walking through changju changzhou as a foreigner as someone who doesn't necessarily know the language than i would walking through one of the nearest cities near me in the uk of course and and there was been times when i felt genuinely threatened or um concerned for my well-being walking through streets in the uk um however in china they've say what you will but they've gotten something right and I, I i also mean in terms of community the and this is a phenomenon that i'll never be able to explain to people that haven't been to china mm. and that is eyes by which you mean old ladies dancing on the street <laughs> and it's such a chinese thing and, and to explain this to those to pretty much everyone that hasn't been in china um there's this kind of phenomenon in china where groups of ladies from what we say about 40 and older maybe 50 and older about 50 yeah. on on an evening or in a morning or on lunchtime or basically whenever they want will get together in groups from about 10 to 60 or 70 or even more and stand outside and just do big group dancing and it's it's bizarre to watch as someone who if anybody tried to do that in my country yeah 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 that's it, it just going to... would not happen that's what i was going to add because i know it might be similar in the uk the same as the united states but when you think of maybe the elderly and their elements of retirement and the mm. sort of things that they do it's it seems to be more between you know the couple or mm. you know mom and dad probably might be so retired and they're 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 well off and they might be able to go do something that allows them to be more flexible and be closer to their families versus maybe in china you have these community of people living in the same area raised in the same area and they all contribute to you know the longevity of their lives mm -hmm. i mean how often would you see that through like the elderly it's like what sort of activities would the elderly do in the united states in the uk or in the west incomparable to china in this play bingo yeah, yeah. <laughs> gamble yeah gambling too mm -hmm. i mean you know my mother uh does like doing that as a, as a hobby mm -hmm. and so does her husband so it's it's like that that's it's like a very it seems more it seems more um profit margin mm -hmm. versus maybe in china it's much more but i think this is an interesting well in china so china has a a long it's one of those cultures that has a, a long history of um I don't know the, the proper term for this, but respecting the elderly, which dates back to Confucianism, um, which is, has been an institute in, in China for thousands of years now. The, the idea of Confucianism and, um, uh, of course, it had its troubles, but the uh, during during the, the 1960s and the periods of social unrest in China and political change, but it's very much a lot of the old tenets of Confucianism have been reinstated. And one of them is this idea of um, respecting the elderly and, the, and mm -hmm. the fact that the elderly should not be um, treated as these feeble, um, out of their mind people that are incapable of anything. And uh, to one extent, this can be seen by the fact that elderly are still, now I'm going to say offered jobs. Well, I'm not sure if they are offered, but a lot of elderly people in China will be uh, employed as um, gardeners by the state. And again, one of the, the bizarre things about um, China is having these vast and beautiful public parks and 
um, small parks and fed, uh, hedges and flower displays that will line all the roads and all the streets mm. everywhere. I think for for a city that is ve- uh, for a country that is very um, urban in its cities and sprawling, it, it's remarkably green, and that's something that. When, again, when I came to in China, I was expecting this grey, almost hellscape of cities as, as someone from the country. But that was something that constantly took me off guard, was these um, promotion of having gardens around every corner or small parks. And um, yes, the, the, the government... I don't know to, to how extent they actually uh, these people are actually paid. I can't imagine it's that much. But they are paid and employed by the state to continue contributing to the society that they a lot of them i would still think they fought for um and they um watched develop because china's country is only now what 76 years old um as the, far the, the as the people's republic the people's of china 70 it just happened maybe last year because i was in macau and they had the 70th yeah, that the seventieth or the seventy-fifth? I believe it was the seventieth. I can't remember which one. I think it was the seventieth anniversary of the People's mm-hmm. Republic. But I, yeah, we have. They, they are the last. The, I think of them as this this vanguard generation who were the last people who brought in the People's Republic. And so many Chinese people, uh, elderly Chinese people, have this great patriotism for their country and um, the fact that they are treated and respected um, as opposed to in the UK more often than not being thrown into a care home um i i think is outstanding they, they they've gotten that so right in many in many respects hmm. well given the circumstances of china's development and sort of influence on the world where do you think the rest of it's what do you think the world's going to be given that china's sort of taking care of its opportunities as they see them. Mm. I mean, it took about 5,000 years and a lot of things we could throw, the Cultural Revolution, the Great mm. Leap Forward, and a number of things that may have put China at a, at a disadvantage, but it obviously created a lot of opportunities for people to move from poverty into the middle class. Yeah, and, and again, uh, I think across the whole world we've seen this um, moving of people out of quote-unquote poverty into the middle class and what's left now is the extremes so the, the problem is now the extremes of poverty and those that are left uh, are in this massive extreme and um, so much should be done and can be done to, to change this I think but in terms of what will the world see now that China um, China is growing I, I think honestly the, the world will I think the world can have a lot to learn from China. I, I think China has done incredibly well in the, apart from the, apart from the outset, in, in the whole COVID response, and particularly now in terms of what's going on in the US, particularly with the presidential election. Um, China has presented this opportunity on a silver platter to an extent to be a global leader. I mean, it's already dominating Asia in a lot of ways um, and we can see through its Belt and Road initiative that it's trying to um, promote its soft and hard power across the world now from Europe to Africa. Especially Africa because just Especially recently Africa. they had about Africa has accepted about 60 billion dollars. Yeah. There's about 56 countries in Africa and yeah. 53 of them have accepted aid and you know mm-hmm. finances but I think one thing I noticed was that one of the things about China and their relationship with African countries is the lack of intervention. 
or ins mm. instinctively the imperialistic side of maybe what the Western world has done as far as colonization reaches. So how, what probably would make China different from, from the West in terms of not interfering with mm. sort of the, the geopolitical uh, things that have been taking place in African countries in general? Yeah, um, so China is basically, as far as I'm aware, and again, I'm, I'm citing this um, from a book that I read uh, two, maybe three years ago called Who's Afraid of China? I can't remember the author, but if you put that name to Google, it will come up and it's a fantastic read for anybody interested in the rise of China, China's hard and soft power, and how it's pursuing its goals. Because China is pursuing goals. China is ambitious. The dragon is flexing, so to speak, and the dragon will continue to grow. Um, but... China has basically followed the same foreign policy for the past couple thousand years. And it's one called Tianxia, which for those of you that don't speak Chinese means all under heaven. And China for, for thousands of years now has pursued this policy in a lot of cases of sending diplomats to, uh, diplomats to country, uh, countries, mm -hmm. plural, giving them stuff, so giving them treasures, giving them gold, establishing relationships with local leaders, um, and then just saying, "Oh no, don't worry, don't don't worry about this. Uh, you don't have to pay us back, but just remember, remember who gave you this," and establishing these friendly links with countries. Um, and of course, we have in the past we we've seen very contrary. Um, Examples of this, where particularly in Africa, where the Chinese where Chinese businesses have gone in, um, they've kind of raped the land, they've taken out minerals, they've devastated um, wildlife and ecosystems, uh, or enforced um, incredibly, um, I don't know how you'd say it, but um, loans that aren't available to be paid back and put uh, countries in a lot of debt or people in a lot of debt. Surely. But... Um, I think in one particular example, I, I spent a chunk of time in Rwanda uh, in 2018, and one of the one of the um, the projects the Chinese government had got themselves involved in Rwanda was going around every village in Rwanda and putting one house in there which had internet, and on the flat on the on the wall of the house facing the road they painted a big Chinese flag. A big Rwandan flag saying in Chinese, in Rwandan, in French, and in English, um, da da da, house given internet. Another example of Chinese Rwandan friendship, and that's what, that's what the a lot of times this is being phrased as. This is friendship and um, trying to, uh, pitching this idea that we are trying to help better your country, but remember who helped you. Because, as you say, the West has this awful, um, genocidal, um, colonial legacy. Uh, and there is, particularly in the current climate, as, as we see, um, I think most apparent at the moment is the French struggling with their colonial legacy. Um, but we, the West has... I think, and by by this I mean Europe has has lost a lot of its um, a lot of its name 
and the Chinese are, are stepping in and filling this vacuum and still providing help but in a way that's uh, a help up, uh, a hand up as opposed to a hand down and mm. I, I think that's proving to be incredibly effective for them and I think will continue to be yeah wow well that's what that's what we've got from here man I mean shh. but I've got another question off off the topic of mm-hmm. of China and its relationships how do you develop a philosophy for yourself and how can people do that in the sense that they can feel comfortable or even have some pride in the things that they they can do for themselves what have you have you ever thought about that or have you ever considered you know, being a, the Socrates or the <laughs> man, I'd love to be the modern Socrates. <laughs> um, I, I think this goes back to the earlier point with dating apps. Who ever thought there'd be a tangent joined joined between philosophy and dating apps? That's oh. that's brilliant. Um, but no, uh, approaching everything with an open mind. If if you go to read, I know the works of Socrates or. Um, Kind of Descartes or Nietzsche and think as you walk in this is gonna be a pile of trash you're never gonna take anything from it mm. but I think the important thing as well for people to do is not to necessarily worry about conforming entirely to a, a philosophy and by which I mean they there are so many philosophies in the world there are so many religions in the world there are so many people telling you this is the way you should do this and live your life mm. that for every person and I'm, I'm, I strongly believe this that no person is the same and no person can um, find self-betterment and self-fulfillment in the same way the, the way I might say okay I was struggling with my mental health so I took a trip, a trip to Japan I came back as a grown person, I, I grew from that trip, can't be prescribed to everyone. Mm. And it won't be prescribed to everyone, it won't fit everyone. But what I, what I mean to say is, people, I think people should always look to educate themselves. I think education um, is the key to self-embetterment. And I don't mean paying £9,500 like we do in the UK to go to university. What I mean is, there is a wealth of books, mm. podcasts, of videos of audiobooks out there on every and any topic a person can imagine and people should sit down they should take this opportunity they should listen to it on the tube on the way to work they should um, do it just before going to bed instead of watching that extra episode of The Office um, <laughs> going all the way back to The Office man right back we're doing roundabouts all the way through Can't I love do this much, um, but there, there is so much wisdom in the world to be take to take from. Mm. Um, I, I mean, one, and it's it's okay to blend them. Like recently, I, I was reading um, just last month before I came came to visit you again last month. Um, <laughs> on the plane down, I read the Tao Te Ching, which is a um, a for those of you that don't know, it's one of the tenets of Chinese philosophy. There are, there are a couple of main big schools of thought in China which mm. have emerged during this period of political unrest um, in like BC China, when the rest of the world was kind of messing about with 
Greeks and Romans or whatever. The, the Chinese were busy. busy um, the, the central government at the time collapsed and all these big states just popped up. And what happened was from the central uh, government that was there, all the people of the different um, parts of the government went to a different new state. So all the, the lawyers went to this one state, all the um, priests went to another one. Um, and what we see is these different schools of thought appear which very much reflect um, the the people that were writing for them. So the lawyers developed a, um, a school of thought called like legalism. Mm. Um, but the other big ones, the Dao De Jing is from uh, Taoism. Uh, the way Tao being the Chinese word for way or root or path mm-hmm. um, there's obviously also Confucianism, Moism there's a, um, a really awesome early form of very utopian communism which appeared at the time as well where uh, the, the, right, the, the writers um, it, it directly quotes something along the lines of the, the emperor should work in the field along with the farmers and earn as much as they do from the sweat of his brow, which I think for a country which is now communist and at one point very much held those ideals true, I think that's amazing that we saw such early examples of, of communism when people expect it to be just dated back to Marx. Mm. Um but anyway, the, the whole point of this was saying that in, in the Tao Te Ching, there is um, a lot of... Uh, the, the way of Taoism uh, is basically try not to react to anything. Step back, let everything happen around you. The man that is silent is the one that speaks... Uh, the, the person that is silent is the one that speaks the loudest. The, man, the person that speaks the loudest is the one that has the least to say. Mm. Uh, that kind of do nothing and you'll be wise and it's it's very trippy and it <laughs> explicitly states that this isn't meant to be something that's easy to inf- uh, to to read from um but if if you were a literal taoist you would never really do anything you'd be passive you'd be so set back but you would be um able to let all these things wash over you and you'd be at one with dao mm. um which i personally think I can't do. I think there's so much injustice. There's one thing saying like, if there's injustice in the world, kind of step back and it will let itself sort itself. In in terms of economics, they're very laissez-faire, um, meaning like keep your hands out of the economy and things will sort themselves out, which I personally don't agree with. But there is a lot to be said in terms of um, emotions and conflict of stepping back mm. and not reacting and not rising and not biting. So in that way, took a little bit of this philosophy and incorporated it into my own i didn't keep the stuff about laissez-faire economics because that's not me <laughs> i'm not a libertarian I, I don't agree with that but the the idea of there being so much philosophy in the world that you don't have to wholeheartedly subscribe to it's not like your monthly i know 10 pounds a month for gardener's magazine you're, you're not a subscribing member to anything you believe and you don't have to be if people say to you like oh so are you i don't know are you a a stoic or are you a a a Taoist? like you don't have to fully conform to these labels Uh, taking bits and pieces of things and formulating your own ideas is the most important thing in my mind yeah well what a load of information and knowledge yeah all over the shop aren't we <laughs> yeah man it's it was it's, it's amazing to hear it especially giving your chance giving yourself a chance to go on a, a little rant 
Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> for sure, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I guess my last question is, what could you leave the listeners with from the things that you've shared? And yeah, what can you leave us with? What can I leave us with? Well, let's let's say ooh, a few little tidbits. Let's let's break this down into the key things of what I was saying, shall we? Okay. The first one okay. is probably to watch you know watch the whole YouTube video and not delay time for three hours trying to put these. Oh man, God! Together, if you if we'd sat and watched that video instead of uh, anyway, it, it no, would have been a whole. It would have been a whole lot easier. We it, wouldn't have spent three hours <laughs> yeah, <laughs> setting this stuff up. That's me over here. Um, what can I say? Well, firstly. So we, we spoke about a couple of things. Let, let's start with, in terms of self-betterment, okay? It's, it's okay to not have the answers, but always look to, to educate yourself. Mm. And in, in terms of um, well-being and personal um, mental growth to please, like there, there is, I would argue as a, as an academic, that there is such a wealth of information out there. Find find something. Start for those of you interested. Start with Taoism. Mm. Start. I would I would argue anybody and everyone start with Taoism, or if you want to look at a Western version, look at Stoicism. Both these are the amazing schools of thought. There, we've had people for thousands of years asking, "How do we be happy?" And there are so many schools of thought out there. So please, mm. like, look look at them. Um, so that one, like, educate yourself. <laughs> That's the one. Um, yeah. The the next one would be, in in terms of mental health, like it, it's okay not to be okay. Like step back, take time to reflect, take time to be at one, take time to be silent. Um, but remember that you don't have to be silent, and it's mm. it is okay to call out and mm. that, to remember that there are people around you, and it's so difficult mm-hmm. to do so and to feel mm-hmm. like you're a burden. Yeah. But call out yeah that that would be that would be my next one um in terms of oh, i had it right on the tip of my tongue um hold on. In, in and in terms of language learning for those of you that want to learn languages um don't worry about making mistakes and this is also in wider life this will this will be my final thing i think that to, to always strive to do what you want to do always be bold always be ambitious always take the leap of faith the amount of times I've said that to people, take the leap of faith. Uh, if it pays off, it pays off. If it doesn't, then you can get back up and try again with a different one. But mm. it's okay to make mistakes. And um, as long as you learn from them. Mm. Please make mistakes, but, but learn from them. And, always, and don't be afraid to be unperfect or imperfect and particularly with language learning as, as a language learner like particularly with language learning and saying to people like hey I'm sorry that was too fast can you say it again but make mistakes but learn from them yeah excellent man and after three hours of <laughs> going through the ropes I will say this is a this is definitely worth people to hear mm. as soon as possible let's hope that the audio has worked properly <laughs> Let's hope that everything that we were saying has. I'm sure it has. Yeah, let's see. And let's hope that the people back home like enjoy this and leave a a comment or a like on their platform of choice and subscribe to Mahi for Dummies. Yeah, Um, to boost something about algorithms. Uh, 
There we go. Doing doing your job for you, man. Helping yeah, you out. Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Uh, as, as I've said again, my friend, my good friend Sam Hardy from the UK, mm-hmm. follow him on Instagram. If you want to reach out to him, just hit a DM. Yeah, man, I'm always there. Always there. Richard underscore the underscore la underscore where. It's a weird name, but it makes sense if you follow the account. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, however you want to do it. Guys. So. Um, but yeah, th- seriously, like, thank, thanks for having me on. It's been a, a lifelong dream of me to, of mine to be on a podcast. I've, I've had a great time. It's, I hope that people think that I've had something to, to say and listen to. Because <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't. But hey, that's yeah, me. Yeah, this is a good thing, <laughs> But man. it's been good. Excellent. That's been another special episode of Mahi for Dummies. We don't create podcasts. We create journeys. Peace. Peace.